0: Your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly.
1: Adrian goes under center this time. Mills, the deep back, turn and toss it to Mills off the left side. He's to the 10, step arms, a man, five dives. He is in, touchdown Nebraska. Diedrich Mills finds the end zone from 14 yards out.
0: Now let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your host, Greg
1: Sharp. And Tim Curran. In for Ben McLaughlin tonight, who's off for a couple of weeks. spend a little time with his new daughter, Kennedy. We're so glad you're spending some of your time with us here tonight. Thank you so much. Got a busy show ahead for you. Major League Baseball underway after a lot of discussion. They shut down spring training in March, and here they go. Tonight, the Nationals and the Yankees about ready to play the Nationals, the defending World Series champions, and yet none of the brain trust of the Husker Sports Network picks them to win their division. Not <laughs> one of us picked the defending no. champs to win a division. How no, about I that?
2: I couldn't quite bring myself to pencil them in, and I'm not really sure why. I mean, I guess we all unanimously side with what the Braves. I think in that division, so mm, we did. Um, the Braves are just so stacked for talent, and with this weird, weird sixty-game schedule, I mean, what happens if? Trey Turner comes down with coronavirus and then how does that impact things and I, it's it's a sprint on a marathon this year and so uh, I mean I could just easily see I mean and also the the I don't know if they actually ended up expanding the 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 playoff as well so you could see them getting the wild card spot and still going on to win at all I wouldn't put it out of the realm possibility but just in terms of division winner Braves I guess
1: And Juan Soto does have COVID-19, so he's out for a while. He tested positive the other day. So a guy who a lot of people think will be an MVP in the National League at some point in time in his career is going to miss the first couple of weeks of the season. But Baseball's underway. They did approve this afternoon. Expanded playoffs. They're going to go to 16 teams. The first and second place teams from each division are going to get in, and then the next two best records get in, and then the top seeds get to pick who they want to play in the first round. Some oddity to all this. It makes some sense to me because you're – let's say you're a fan of the Cleveland Indians. Well, the Indians don't play – Anybody from the American League East. They don't play the Yankees and the Rays, who might be the two best teams in the American League. You don't have to play them at all in your 60 games. So I think you've got to give the teams that have the best record a little bit of a, an edge up. So that'll be interesting to see how that all unfolds and it does start tonight. want to jump right into some college football talk. Tomorrow is a big NCAA Board of Governors meeting where they're going to talk. They may or may not decide about what to do with the fall championship. So we're talking about volleyball and soccer or yeah, soccer, uh, cross-country, those sports that, that the NCA oversees of a Division I level for the fall. They could table it for a couple weeks and kind of see what the medical uh, side of things looks like in a couple of weeks, or they could make a decision to move those sports to the spring. My gut tells me they're going to move it to the spring. So how does that factor in FBS football for the Cornhuskers? Well, right now, Uh, Bill Moose and and the Omaha World Herald and Tom Chattel have a a piece up. Tom talked to the Husker Athletic Director this afternoon. uh, And Moose uh, is going to be watching that meeting tomorrow very carefully. He did say, quote, if they say there aren't going to be any fall championships in the NCAA, just from my observation, would there then be a college football playoff? Moose says this. Moose then said, does he expect college football to happen in the five big conferences this fall? He said, I think so. I think there's some conferences that are absolutely going to play. Every day, the complexion of the college football season is changing. Some of these decisions are probably going to be audibles when we get into this. It begins somewhat tomorrow with this decision or possible decision from the Board of Governors. We've kicked this down the road about as far as we can go. So there's the latest from Bill Moose. I, this It starts tomorrow with this meeting, Tim. I, we're starting to come up to some hard deadlines where I think some decisions are going to have to be made.
2: Yeah, and it's it's always – right now you're kind of stuck between a bad decision and an even worse decision. There really isn't a perfect way to, to kind of get out of this, and I think that – probably my gut feeling this isn't me you know this is me reading the tea leaves not me eavesdropping i was ever in the wall during any of these conversations but i do imagine we will see uh, a suspension of, of of fall championships meaning that uh the fbs has their own obviously the the the, the The playoff, the the NCAA doesn't control that. But from an optics standpoint, you probably couldn't just say, "Oh, we're going to have our playoff anyway." If the NCAA comes out and and shuts down fall championships. Now that being said, I'm still pretty confident we're going to see some football. And and the reason being is that you can't really move football to the spring and then turn around and play in the fall. I mean, I guess technically speaking, you could do that, but I think that's a big ask for a a sport as physical as football to ask those guys to play that close together, and you certainly wouldn't want to permanently move football to the spring. That wouldn't make any sense. So it seems to me that most of the sports, the fall sports, are probably going to get kicked down to the spring, and then we're going to see – at least some football, and who knows, maybe they get into the season and they shorten it by even more games than we originally thought. Maybe they only play, like, you know, six or seven games. But I would anticipate to see some football played, even if there is no fall championship, even if there is no playoff or bowl games. I would expect to see just a little bit of football, and I guess that's what we're all kind of holding out hope for is just some football.
1: Well, and and Bill Moose does say that later on in the thing that, you know, I – at some point in time, he thinks that uh, they could get some games in during the fall. And, and, that, and you're right. I think what it looks like right now on July 23rd, it may look completely different by September 1. And it could look completely different by November 5th. I mean, all of these things can change. This, we've gone through peaks and valleys with this virus I mean, we thought we kind of had it under control in May, and then it kind of spiked back up, I think, part of – I'm not a doctor, but I think it's because people have started traveling again. People have right. been out, starting to do some things, and so they're not sitting in their apartments or sitting in their houses or sitting in their condos. They're out kind of mingling, and it's it's spreading around a little bit. Uh, so stay tuned. We'll, we'll obviously be watching with everybody tomorrow on the Board of Governors meeting. Uh, again, that doesn't necessarily mean that's what the com- commissioners are going to do for the Power Five for football, but it will have uh, implications for the sport of volleyball, which I know we have a lot of Husker volleyball fans and want to know what's going to be happening with uh, that sport as we move through. All right, here's what we have coming up this hour. Busy hour ahead. We're going to do both linebacker coaches tonight. So we're going to hear from Barrett Rood. Then we'll hear from Mike Dawson. Then we'll grade out where we think the Husker linebacking core fits in the Big Ten West. We went offensive line the other night, Tim, which I think can be a strength for this football team, not only this year but moving down the road. We're probably going to an area of this football team where the biggest question marks reside, is that Husker linebacking core.
2: Yeah, the linebacker core is interesting to me, and I think Nebraska actually does have a quietly solid core of guys. The question is, is there depth there? So right now, as I see it, you're going to have Will Honus, Call Miller at the inside linebacker spot, and then on the outside linebacker spot, you're going to have Caleb Tanner, who still has to prove himself a little bit. I think a lot of guys are optimistic about where he'll be at, but but still probably has to prove himself a little bit. And then you have JoJo Doman, who is also playing in that kind of nickel role. And so I think you're pretty comfortable with that core of guys and then you also have garrett nelson who plays with his hair on fire he's like the little engine that could he's always running around and and he actually got a lot better and more confident as the season progressed and with even more time in the weight room i have full confidence in garrett nelson's ability as a linebacker and so i think you're pretty comfortable greg with that core of guys and i think just the question is if there are people who contract coronavirus or go down with just injuries then what do you do there? And also, the defensive line is a big part of this as well. I think if you see a guy like Ben Stilley have a great year, you're gonna it's going to make it a lot easier on those outside linebackers to get after the quarterback. Because that's the thing that Nebraska really has been missing is getting pressure on the quarterback. That's been a problem for a decade-plus. Ever since Dominick Sue left campus, you've had issues getting after the quarterback. So if Nebraska can get any type of pra- pass rush, any type of pressure at all on the quarterback this year, I think the defense is going to have a lot of success
1: tonight we continue on our look at the husker positions we dive into the linebackers and up first inside linebacker coach bear root tonight on
0: sports nightly it's the husker football position breakdowns
1: second and 11 from the three stretch play left to young he's hit in the backfield and dropped. he'll lose another yard back to the two-yard line colin miller through that time sets up third down and twelve tonight. LeJon in at quarterback from Maryland, looking at third and nine out with the 30-yard line. LeJon gets the snap, gets hit, dropped. Oh, what a sack. Big time hit by Jojo Doman, back at the 21-yard line. Doman's second sack of the year.
0: Outside linebackers
1: coach, Mike Dawson, and inside linebackers coach, Barrett Rude. Well, let's talk about these inside linebackers with Husker inside linebackers coach, Barrett Rude. And, you know, the first two years you've been at Nebraska, Coach, I think maybe you've kind of been able to get by week to week because of just a lack of numbers. Do you feel more closer to being a whole room now here in year three?
3: Yeah, most definitely, especially from the depth standpoint. Um, uh, it's probably the first year where you really feel good about, you know, not just your your first group you throw out there, but, you know, the the second and possibly third group as well. Yeah. Um, Now you're starting to have guys that have been in the system going on their third year, Um, not only the system defensively, but just the the overall program, you know, understanding how we want guys to work, how to prepare. Um, So as far as overall uh, room, it's, it's definitely the most comfortable I've been.
1: Well, you've been able to have a guy like Muhammad Berry has been so solid for you the last couple of years. He's now graduated and moved on. So the two the two graybeards in that room would be Colin Miller and Will Honus. Tell me about what you need to see from those guys and what do you expect to see from those guys on a day-to-day basis?
3: Uh, Well, you know, starting with Will, uh, you know, I really expect him to have a good year. Um, no, number one, because he's he's a full year removed from having surgery and being 100% healthy. I think sometimes people overlook, you know, when you have an injury like he had, an ACL, it really it really takes a full year to really get that out of your system, in my opinion. And and he really did a good job gutting through that last year. But, you know, I mean, it, he felt it, you know, in certain days of practice. And, um, you know, that, that can definitely have an effect on you. So having him 100% healthy and then plus the fact that he's now been here three years and really knows what we expect of him, um, I, I'm really excited to see what he can do this year. Um, Colin really is, is very similar, not from the injury standpoint, but um, this is now his third year uh, really being uh, an inside linebacker, and which is really good as well. You know, he went from uh, a guy that originally was an outside linebacker his whole life and came over right before the fall um, of uh, 2018 and didn't really get to play a whole lot because he was still learning uh, learn how to play the position in 2018. But 2019, he got to play a lot of football. Um, and I, I expect him to completely just build on what he did last year. Um, you know, he's a really intelligent guy, intelligent football player, and now with, uh, you know, once again, a couple of years under his belt playing the position, uh, I'm really excited for him to be able to put it all together um, in his senior year. Tell me a little bit more
1: about Conlon. He seems to be a guy that it, it, it means a lot to him. I, I see a lot of emotion from him, whether it's out on the field or on the sidelines. What, what about him as a person?
3: yeah i mean he's uh he's a pretty passionate football player um you know he's uh i don't think any of our guys are like extremely vocal but he's one of the more vocal guys we have um good communicator um you know like i said very intelligent good communicator which is really essential at that spot you got to have somebody that's comfortable lining guys up and running the show and telling guys where to go um and he really i think especially last year really got a good grasp of that his first year he was really starting to learn how to do that because when you play the outside linebacker spot, it's the exact opposite. You're getting told what to do. Where now as the inside linebacker, you've got to tell people what to do. And so now he really uh, has a high comfort level for that. And then now I think where you're going to really see him flash the most is just his overall movements and um, you know, techniques at the, at the position physically. I think mentally he's got a great grasp of it. Um, verbally he can, he can run the show. And now physically I think his movements are all where, where they need to be to really have a good year.
1: Visiting again with Husker inside linebackers, Coach Barrett Rude here in our position breakdown of the Huskers inside backers. Last year, you, you added three scholarship linebackers to the to the room as freshmen, and they, for different reasons. Nick Henrich was a guy that I know you're really excited about, but he battled some injuries throughout the fall. Jackson Hanna and Garrett Snodgrass. How about the progress of those three guys, and, and what do you expect out of them?
3: Yeah, I mean, start with Nick. Um, you know, it was a big disappointment for not only him, but for us too, you know, that he got injured in, in spring practice because, um, you know, you saw him starting to really come on when he did get hurt in spring. Um, you know, and I, I am glad that it happened when it did because now he did preserve that red shirt year um, as opposed to doing it, you know, in game six or something like that midseason. Um, so he's had a full, you know, year or so to really recover from that surgery and he's you know, 100% full go. I mean, he's gained 25 pounds since, he, since he's been here. Um, and, and you're right, he's a guy I've always been extremely high on. I mean, ever since, uh, you know, watching his high school take. I mean, he, uh, he, he's as advertised. Um, and now it's just a matter of him, you know, continually to push um, and c- continue to develop because he's got all the tools, you know, needed to be a really, really good football player for a long time. Um, now it's just a matter of him continuing to develop and, and, and push himself on a daily basis.
1: Garrett Snodgrass, coach's son, Jackson Hanna from Tennessee. Guys that should be getting more of a handle of your system and what you kind of want out of those guys.
3: Yeah, Garrett, um, you said coach's son. I mean, and, and it's easy to see why. He's um, easily one of our uh, sharpest players. Um, you know, he knows, he knows the defense in and out already as a freshman, um, you know, which is really a credit to him because he didn't get the reps you know, that a lot of the guys did early on. I mean, there's just limited reps to go around, um, especially when he was coming in, you know, for fall camp, and he's a guy that really uh, maximized each rep that he got, and he continued that uh, throughout the winter and, and the spring practices that he did get. He really has a good grasp of the defense, um, which is always going to be really important for him because he's continuing to develop from an athletic standpoint, but he's always going to be a guy that I think is going to be uh, on the elite level of, of just knowledge of the system and understanding of football, so... He's really a valuable guy for our room. And then Jackson's a guy that, um, you know, I think it was important for him to get that redshirt year last year to really be able to come in. Um, and, you know, sort of like old school Nebraska football, we really uh, made use of that redshirt year for a long time around here. And guys made huge jumps uh, in the weight room, which translated to the field. And that's that's what we're looking for from him is hopefully that redshirt year really uh, translates from what he did with Zach in the weight room to uh, – what you're going to see out on the field.
1: You added, Coach, a couple of guys, scholarship backers in this most recent recruiting class. Va Clements, a junior college player, and Keyshawn Green. What can you tell the folks about those two additions?
3: Yeah, Va, you know, I, I'm not going to go real in-depth on his background story because one day that, that story is going to come out It's really one of the cooler stories I've ever heard. Um, but he's a, he's a kid that uh, I have zero doubt his best football is in front of him. I mean, two years ago he was a – 5'11", 165-pound cornerback. And now, you know, after about a half year in the program, he's a 6'1", 210, 215-pound linebacker. So um, he's got a lot of raw, natural ability. Um, His dad's a high school football coach uh, near the San Francisco area. Um, So, you know, he's a football guy. He loves football. Um, Great guy to be around, great guy to have in the room. And he's really done a nice job of picking things up, um, you know, coming in here from junior college. Uh, system. So, uh I wish he would have had a full spring to, to really see what he can do with pads on. But uh, I think he's really got a good future for us here. A corner, right? it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, he's you know he's from america Samoa. Yeah. um And you know, I, like I said, I don't want to get too in depth of the story because it's pretty cool. and He needs to tell the whole thing. But you know, <laughs> he came over here uh basically not knowing anybody. His uh, right after high school and just wanted to play football and. Yeah, like I said, he was a five eleven corner, and now he's a six uh, one uh, linebacker. So uh, I, I really do think his best football's ahead, and he's still learning the position, but um, loves the game and, and really works at it.
1: How about Keyshawn? What what attracted you to him, and what have you seen for him with uh, with a month or so on the ground in Lincoln?
3: Yeah, I mean he's a, uh, obviously we watch his high school film. He's a fabulous athlete, um, really a natural uh, player at the position. Um, And the key for him, man, is just, uh, you know, every day it's got to be a a process of getting better. Um, And he's a guy that, you know, he's got to come in and learn the system. Obviously, a a normal offseason really would have helped him being able to, you know, have more time with him in person uh, to teach him the system. Um, But he's a guy that I think uh, we're counting on right away um, to contribute somewhere on the field. You know, whether it's special teams, um, I think he can be a dynamic kick cover guy, uh, dynamic punt cover guy, um, he's a guy that I think can really be a, an anchor for our special teams early on, and then um, hopefully more and more we can we can get him on the field uh, uh, and, and let him use his skills.
1: Very good, Barrett Root again with us as we start our position breakdowns here on Sports Nightly on the Husker Sports Network. Your room's always got some some young. Uh, walk on linebackers. We've seen some make a big dent for Husker football down through the years. Last year, Luke Reimer flashed some some things for you. The youngster out of North Star High School, Joey Johnson from up in Gretna's, had some moments for you. What about some of the, the walk on kids that you're excited about in your room?
3: Yeah, you mentioned, I mean, Luke Reimer uh, was probably as, uh, had as good of a camp uh, as anybody on the whole team, really. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. as a guy that really was pretty unknown and uh, a guy that showed up you know, for summer workouts, and, uh, you know, really, he was learning on the fly, but he's one of those guys that, you know, it's exactly what you tell a guy to do is, hey, if you don't know quite what you're doing, go real fast and figure it out on the fly, and and he absolutely does that. Um, He really has a natural feel for football. You know, in in North Star, he played about 15 positions uh, out of need, and um, I think he's found a home for us here at Inside Linebacker, and uh, I really think he's got the potential to be a – you know, big-time player, uh, not just at Nebraska, but, you know, around the conference as well. So really excited about him. And then um, we've got some guys that have started to be in the system for a little bit, you know, the Joe Johnsons and Chris Cassidy's, that, you know, really understand what we're looking for, really are hard workers, and just want Nebraska to to be really good. And that's what um, the uh, elite walk-ons that I've been around uh, are like. They'll do anything for the team. They can't wait to play special teams. know both inside linebacker spots, inside and out, so uh, really excited about them as well.
1: Well, Coach, we appreciate, as always, the breakdown of your room. Uh, it's going to be a group I think that's going to continue to grow as we get through this 2020 season and, and beyond. Uh, keep them healthy as once you get to start working out and no doing more hitting on the field, keep them healthy, and let's get this thing cranked up.
3: Absolutely. We're excited about it.
1: We're still dealing with the same position with the linebackers. The Huskers... Break it up by having Barrett Rude coach the inside backers and Mike Dawson the outside linebackers. Mike Dawson back after taking a year to go to the NFL with the New York Giants. When he was here two years ago, he was the defensive line coach, but now back to handle the outside linebackers, and he joins us now on our Woodhouse Auto Family Sports Nightly Hotline. Coach, great to have you back. Are you are you settling in? What is it like being back in Lincoln?
4: Thanks, Greg. Yeah, we got we got back a couple of uh, months ago and just getting everything settled and getting the house the way we want it and situated and getting back to town has been really great. So everybody's happy we're back from our end and uh, looking forward to, uh, uh, to getting everything back to kind of status quo. Well,
1: let's let's dive into the outside backer room, uh, and two names that would jump out at Husker fans would be Caleb Tanner and JoJo Doman. Um, what, what about their, their progress as players, and, and what are you going to need out of those guys in this season?
4: Yeah, we're expecting a lot of big things from a bunch of guys in the room, but uh, I'll start with JoJo first. He's a guy that's made uh, some really big plays, and I think he's doing a good job of kind of fine-tuning the details, uh, the plays, you know, play in and play out a little bit more consistently and uh, be able to make those plays and kind of, you know, be able to be a guy that sits in the defense and and does all the jobs necessary. You know, he's kind of like a – a Swiss Army knife. He's a guy that, you know, has had some DB experience, so he can go out and cover, and he's also big enough, strong enough, where he can set an edge for you like a linebacker. So uh, we're going to need a lot out of him this year.
1: And and Caleb Tanner is certainly a guy that, that, that looks like he has all the physical tools, It just and, and he's shown flashes in his young Husker career. But it, I think we all know there's more to Caleb.
4: Yeah, I think that Caleb is a guy that we've talked about, uh, not being a flash guy. You know, you've got to be a guy that's a play in, you know, play out every every down guy, and uh, he's got some tools. Uh, he's got great length. He's got good athleticism, and uh, he's a guy that can go forward and, and rush a quarterback. He can also do a little bit in coverage, so that's a, a, a bonus for a guy like that as, as far as being able to drop and be a linebacker type of guy, so uh, he's just got to tie it all in, and uh, you know, he's he had he play as a young guy, and I think hopefully that experience over the last two years leads to something that uh, that, that ends up being uh, pretty good for us this year.
1: Coach, another young man that Husker fans kind of gl- glommed onto pretty quick was Garrett Nelson. They loved his energy, his passion for the game. What have your observations of Garrett been?
4: Yeah, he's he's an easy guy to, to fall in love with, especially from the Cornhusker standpoint. He's If there's someone in in the program that believes Cornhusker Red, it's it's certainly Garrett. Uh, It's super important to him. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, he brings great passion and uh, brings physicality as a guy that plays a true freshman. It's not easy to play that that, that position as a true freshman, and and he was able to log a decent amount of reps. And same thing, I think that uh, playing at the Big Ten level as a true freshman, uh, I think that leads to later on in your career being able to have some experience behind you and gain knowledge and just keep on improving Every single, chance you get a ch- uh, every single time you get a chance to step
1: out on the field. Yeah, we're visiting with Husker outside linebackers coach Mike Dawson here in our position breakdown of the outside linebacker spot. Two young guys who redshirted last year, Javen Wright, who was brought in as a defensive back, going to try to move his way up like JoJo Doman did to the outside backer spot. And Jamin Graham, who also redshirted last year, what, and I know you had a couple of practices with them back in March. What, what impressions did those guys leave with you?
4: Yeah, well, uh, James did a great job of kind of just uh, feeling his way a little bit into the position and and, kind of getting going that way. And um, did did a pretty good job with uh, learning how to set the edge and being able to kind of be a guy that's able to use his length. And uh, there's a couple good clips of him really in that you know a couple no padded practices are showing some some physicality, which is good to see from a young guy. So. Uh, that, that, that certainly was positive.
1: Also, you, you couple of incoming freshmen. One you had in the spring, and Blaze Gunnerson, and the other is Jamari Butler, who just got here this summer as well. Your thoughts about two young players that maybe have an impact for you moving forward?
4: Yeah, but, you know, very the, 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 excited about both of those guys. Uh, they both are, are, are good-sized guys with great length. Um, had a chance to be around Blaze a little bit more, obviously, with him coming in at the mid-year. Uh, and he, he's been he's been a good guy to kind of uh, start to get to work with get your hands on him although you know just kind of was getting back into it a little bit when we started the spring ball so um but uh you know looking forward to getting both those guys on the field um i know that the zoom meetings are are, are you know we, we kind of everybody's been talked about that and you know for new guys coming in and learning you can meet and meet and meet about it and draw it on the board and show them some film and you kind of have the interactive, hey, you got this, you got that, and they kind of say, yeah. And, I mean, not many times guys are going to sit there and say, no, I don't got you. So, um, you know, it's going to be good to get them out on the field and start getting both of those guys reps, Jamari, and, um, you know, obviously keep moving forward with Blaze. So uh, I think it's going to be important to get both those guys out on the field and really dig, dig into it and see what they can do.
1: Another addition to your room in this past recruiting class is a junior college player in Nico Cooper, and I think a lot of people expect, okay, junior college player, you got to come in and make an impact right away. Some do, some take a little more time to cook and get ready to go. Uh, what about Nico Cooper? What, what, at least of his junior college tape? What'd you like about him?
4: Yeah, the, the thing about uh, Nico, and just and the same thing, kind of more interacting with him over those Zoom meetings, he, he, he's a guy, very likable personality, guys are, I think Cornhusker fans are going to really like him, he's uh, very intense about his football, he's uh, very prideful for what he's done so far, and at the same time, wanting to get better and better and better, so, um, you know, another guy that I'm looking forward to getting, uh, obviously, his tape showed some some good ability to rush the quarterback, and, Uh, He's a big, long guy when you get to meet him and uh, big big old hands, and he'll be able to put his hands on people, be physical and strike and uh, do a good job in the run game for us. And then uh, with that, you know, flip the switch and go rush the quarterback. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun uh, getting to work with Nico.
1: David Alston's a guy, another guy in your room. He's been a part of the program for a couple of years. He would have been here when you were here a couple of years ago. And then you've got some walk-ons, Coach. Obviously, your room's always going to have walk-ons. Simon Ody was a guy that got on the field some last year. But I know your room is more than just the scholarship guys, isn't it?
4: Yeah, well, we got a we got a good mix of guys. Uh, really, if, if personality-wise in the room is really good. Uh, the guys that are smart and, uh, you know, I've said before, this position, you got to have some flexibility. One down, you might be playing like a safety, and then the next down, you're playing like a B lineman. So, and uh, never mind playing linebacker in between. But uh, these guys are, are, are good guys that want to work hard, and uh, they're they're here for the right reasons, and it's real important to them. So, uh, we got to get them all, uh, you know, chance to to get a role on this team, and uh, get a chance to keep proving themselves day in and day out. And, That's the good news, especially when you come in with kind of a fresh start with a new position coach. That's a clean slate. Last year was last year, but uh, everybody's got to prove it every single day. So uh, hopefully it breeds some good competition and guys can't be complacent because we do have a lot of depth and we do have a lot lot of numbers uh, with with, with guys. So hopefully that, that creates a little bit of competition and a little bit of hunger with these guys every single rep of practice. I try to tell them all the time, each rep that they get is like a piece of gold. Uh, They got got to take that rep as serious as they can, and it's not okay just to kind of go out there and go through the motions in a practice because that one's going to be over. You're never going to get that chance again. So we got to make every single rep count. uh, I think these guys are hungry to do that.
1: Well, Coach, we appreciate the time. Let's get this thing underway, and hopefully we can play some football and watch these guys on the field here in a few months.
4: All right. Thanks a lot for having me, Greg. Appreciate it.
0: Originally from New York, but now calls the second city his home. He prefers seeing a yellow card over an icing call. His choice in pizza is still up for debate, but his knowledge of sports spans from boxing to yachting. Sponsored by Bathfitter, for the beautiful bath you've always wanted, kickstart your bathroom remodel by visiting bathfitter.com today. Now, here's the worldly Teddy Greenstein. Of the Chicago Tribune.
1: Well, this this conversation should be happening in person. I should be in Chicago Media Days, one yes. of the McCormick Place or something. That's that would have been this week.
5: Greg, we should be uh, we should be talking about whether Mark Dantonio's successor is going to thrive. We should be talking about Iowa and the racial stuff. We should be talking about Brandon Peters at Illinois. Of course, we should be talking about Scott Frost because this would be and still will be a huge year for him. And, of course, I would be asking Jim Harbaugh about the progress he's made since it was, what, 62 points allowed to Ohio State a couple years ago <laughs> and just 56 last year to the Buckeyes. So good job, Jim. Yeah, I mean, this is the, always the first day of school uh, whenever we go to uh, Big Ten football media days. And today would be day two. And, uh, man, it is it is sad. I'm, still, I'm glad we're still talking, but you're exactly right, man. We should be uh, having some beers and a steak right now.
1: No doubt. All right. You, you had an update. Uh, everybody's on pins and needles waiting to hear something. We did hear the Pac-12 yeah. today is going to uh, start yes. our attempt to start on the 19th of September. You had a big piece yeah. yesterday. What what are you hearing?
5: And by the way, I, I talked to some Big Ten folks today. Uh, Jerry Palm had tweeted about the Pac-12, and he said, expect the Big Ten to follow. That certainly could be the case. But uh, the Big Ten folks I, I just spoke to in the last hour said uh, they're still evaluating various options um things aren't looking very good uh you know we've talked for a while about this but just what an incredible undertaking college football is because of the massive number of people involved and the fact that you know you can bubble the nba uh you can probably social distance pretty well in baseball golf's obviously pulled it off uh nfl has a shot because it's their livelihood you know if there are no games nobody gets paid but these are college students and it's tough and um you know, I think right now schools have done a good job of, of getting the numbers down. But when 20,000 kids return to a campus, it, it's impossible to tell kids not to be with them. So I spoke to, uh, you know, an influential Big Ten figure yesterday, a guy who's in on all the phone calls with a University of Nebraska doctor, the leading uh, expert in infectious diseases who the Big Ten is leaning on. And he says based on everything he knows, he gives it a 15% shot, shot that Big Ten football games will be played. He said they're just hanging on by a thread. Um, we'll know more in the next couple weeks. Friday's a big day. Uh, Greg, as you probably know, that's when schools can uh, up it to 20 hours a week. They can do some meetings, and, um, you know, they can do more conditioning. And then schools are open to practice, start practice August 7th. But, man, uh, they want to do it. They don't want to lose 50 $60, 70000000 million, but it, it is going to be uh, really tough. The odds are stacked against them.
1: So is spring a possibility then? Do you move it to the spring? Do you play a pared-down schedule then? What, what, what do you do, or do you just forfeit for 13 months?
5: You know, what I think would happen is, look, the coaches don't want to cancel the season. So even if it's a month from now and things are not looking good, they want to hold on to their players. They want their players to practice. They don't want to just kind of turn them loose and then, you know, the guys are probably going to, in coach speak, make not great choices and start going to bars and, uh, you know, doing stuff that that puts their health uh, at risk. So they don't want to cancel. They want to just hang on for dear life and hope there's a breakthrough. Hope things are looking better in certain areas, maybe, you know, several weeks from now. So that's what I expect to happen. Hope, you know, hope that you can play four games. What if you could play four games in the fall? What if you could play six games? That would obviously be way better than nothing. Baseball is going to play 60 games. What about 40% of its season? So I don't expect like a a big cancellation announcement. I think they're really going to try as long as humanly possible. The spring idea, you know, the Big Ten folks tell me they really haven't talked about that much yet. I'm personally very skeptical about that. Um, You know, I think all the top players would sit out because of the NFL draft. I wouldn't really be comfortable asking 19-, 20-, 21-year-old kids to suit it up twice in one calendar year. I think that would be a a pretty blatant money grab at that point. So if it's not the fall, I don't think we're going to get football. Certainly some schools would be fine with that, but I think enough would not be cool with that, that we would see spring football.
1: All right, very good. Teddy Greenstein with us from the Chicago Tribune. You mentioned baseball. You've uh, apparently jumped into the fantasy world of baseball, right?
5: So I love fantasy football, and I'm really into it, in part because I feel like, you know, you put in 10 minutes in Friday and you put in 10 minutes in Tuesday picking up players and you get all the fun of cheering for, you know. Every every game on TV is interesting. You got somebody you're rooting for, somebody you're rooting against. Baseball, fantasy baseball, to me, is a chore. Sure. So I avoided it for like 10 years. You know, I covered baseball as a beat for six years and was really immersed in the game at that point, Greg, and and. To all the players and then little by little you know there would be an entire team full of players that and i couldn't name one guy so last year uh, a friend came to me and said rejoin our baseball league and i'm like fine just quit asking it's only like 50 bucks and it's a keeper league so i figured even if i was terrible i would tank and just try to pick up some good players and that's basically what i did so Luis robert of the white Sox and different guys like that i was able to acquire so heading into this year i have just no desire to do the research So I said, all right, I also need some material for columns. I'm just going to put it out there. I'm going to say apply to be my general manager. I'm going to pick you, one of the readers. I need a Theo Epstein. Got a lot of good responses. Um, I think Ben McLaughlin would have been great and and inspired choice. (laughs) But I went with uh, a gentleman from the northwest suburbs named Eric Toussaint, who is a self-described fantasy degenerate, father of four. One of his kids plays college basketball at West Texas A&M. He's a funny guy. We drafted last night. I think he did a good job, except for the fact that our first-round draft pick is Clayton Kershaw, who about just a bit ago, <laughs> turns out, has been put on the injured list. So, uh, yeah, my, my, my modern-day Sandy Koufax won't be hurling it for the Dodgers.
1: Oh, that's the way it rolls. And you only have right. another. All right, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Who, who's going to be yeah. better this year, the Cubs or the White Sox?
5: I absolutely believe the White Sox. And even though I think the Cubs are one game higher in the Vegas over-under totals list, I believe the White Sox are 31.5 and the Cubs are 32.5. But Cubs pitching might not be good. I mean, they're relying on Hugh Darvish, who obviously has been much better since the early days of his giant contract and all that. But John Lester, uh, you know, loses a little bit every year. Uh, Alec Mills is the fifth starter. Uh, Tyler Chatwood they're counting on. And, you know, these hitters are just not like they were a couple years ago. So it's certainly possible that Chris Bryant is going to come back and have an MVP-type season. But there's been a lot of drop-off. And certainly the the bullpen, you know, could be a problem. The White Sox are MLB's it team this year, aren't they? I mean, a lot of buzz, great young talent getting better every year added the veteran lefty dallas keichel that's probably a good move tim anderson is is surging and the aforementioned Luis robert is uh is hitting 420 foot blasts. so i would absolutely take the white Sox. man are you uh you with me on that
1: any team with aaron bummer gets my vote let's go um great also talk.
5: glad you there- mentioned my guy
1: uh, they are going to expand the playoffs they're going to go with 16 yes. teams and they're going to let teams yes. pick who they want to play i guess the higher seeds get to pick who they want to play what do you think of that
5: well that part i really like because you know any system where you're not rewarding the best teams i think is inherently flawed and it's it's part of why i don't want to expand the college football playoff because you know you'd have a team that would go 13 and 0 thrown in there with a team that goes 10 and 3 and then Suddenly, they're all equal heading into the playoffs. So I'm not crazy about expanding the baseball playoff. I didn't think it was necessary, but I certainly understand it. Um, It will allow a team like the Dodgers or the Nationals, you know, that lose a key player uh, to bounce back. So all they probably have to do is go 30 and 30 to make the playoffs. There's more money. uh, I guess it will create more excitement down the stretch. So it, it certainly doesn't offend me. I don't think it was necessary, but... In general, I'm in favor of uh, sports that value the regular season and make it more important.
1: All right, one golf thing for you. Last week we watched John yeah. Rahm go win the Memorial. He also becomes the number one golfer in the world. He thought yeah. he won by a comfortable margin of four shots. It ended up being two because after the round they went back and looked. He had a chip off the green of 16 where apparently the ball moved a little bit. Is golf? Yes. Is it too much at times, some of the rules in golf?
5: Oh, God, yeah. I mean, if I'm playing with somebody who gets uptight, I just say, buddy, it's not the bleep in British Open. Look for your ball for a minute, drop where you think it was, and move <laughs> on. I, I mean, we're not supposed to be out here for five hours. It's not, it's not the intention. Obviously, it's very different at that level. But first of all, that ROM pitch was sick. I, I mean, you could give, you know, e- even professionals ten shots, and they wouldn't have uh, made it or been that close. It was an amazing shot. The whole concept that when you, you know, sort of ground your club that the ball is not supposed to move or that's a penalty is just ridiculous. And there's no advantage gained. On top of it, it's a strange rule. It's supposed to be a one-shot penalty, but he was assessed a two-shot penalty. The second shot was because he didn't replace his ball. I don't know where you'd replace the ball. I mean, it, it moved, you know, that much and then that much back. So, I mean, come on. It is ridiculous. I don't hate this role quite as much as the fantasy player who lost $150,000. I don't know if you saw that, Greg, because of those two shots that were lost by John Rahm. But not a fan. It's stuff that, uh, you know, divides the golf world from the average fan who's just watching a telecast and, and things like that aren't helpful to the sport.
1: He's had an issue with anger. That's he, Keeping his emotions under wrap have been difficult for Rahm. It looks like he did a pretty good job. Obviously, he did a pretty good job last week, and maybe having a big lead yeah. certainly helped him out.
5: I'm a huge fan of his, and the example that I give is, uh, you know, I'm covering the U.S. Open at Aaron Hills a few years ago, and Ricky Fowler goes out and shoots like 65 in the first round. So as a writer, you know, sometimes you want to get something different. Everybody's going to talk to Ricky, so I'm going to try to get, uh, Ricky's caddy or his playing partner, John Rom played with him and had a rough day shot like 74 or something like that. And there were just like three or four of us following John. And, you know, we're trying to talk to him and kind of thought the blow off was coming because, uh, you know, that, that course was playing easy that day. So he basically knew he was out of the U S open after Thursday and he was great. And he answered every question and I admired him a ton for that. So yeah, he gets upset, but, um, I've seen, nothing but class from him, uh, you know, in opportunities like that.
1: The winners of these tournaments since the restart have been really impressive, haven't they? I mean, it's been the creme de the la really, creme de yeah. win
5: Yeah, the ROM thing is great. I mean, you probably read this story where Phil Mickelson uh, bet, what, Colt Nost. Um, we don't know what the amount is, but Mickelson bet Colt that uh, John ROM would be a top 10 player in the world within a year of turning pro, which is almost impossible. Those yep. guys start out like 1,000. So John Rahm is amazing. I, I, I still don't understand how he takes it back that short and produces that much power, but he's a big, strong fella. And to, uh, to dominate that golf course as he did when, when all the other pros were wilting. Well, very good.
1: Enough. Great to catch up. We'll keep our fingers crossed on football. Enjoy some Major League
5: Baseball Amen. here this weekend. Yeah, so nice to be able to watch some sports, even if uh, my fantasy players are terrible as usual.
1: Time now for us to continue our preseason top 25. It's the
2: Sports Nightly preseason top 25 tonight.
3: Ronnie Walker's back in in the
0: backfield. Here's the snap. Penix fakes the handoff, looks downfield, fires it to the end zone, and is caught. What failure makes the catch? Touchdown, Indiana.
2: Number 22, the Indiana Hoosiers.
1: And here to talk about the Hoosiers, our first Big Ten team in our top 25, and the first time we can remember having Indiana in the top 25, Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star. We're bullish on this team. Are we okay being this bullish on the Hoosiers?
6: Yeah, I I think so. Um, And as somebody who's covered a lot of IU football, you know, in in his adult life, I think it's been strange for me to even wrap my head around the idea of IU football with expectations to this degree. And, you know, I think if you quizzed a number of IU football fans, they would probably give you a a bizarre blend of optimism and fear just because of of how many times they've been snakebitten in the past. But if you look at this roster, if you look at this team, um, there is – depth all over there is experience all over obviously there are question marks like there are with you know just about any team in the preseason and certainly any team that's not in your top five your top 10 kind of range Um, but I think this is a team that certainly has earned preseason expectation and it's just going to be a question of whether or not they can live up to it obviously as we figure out what the season is going to look like
1: you know, you talked about we- on the – let's talk offense. Weapons, great returning quarterback in Pennix. Scott's one of the better backs in the league. Wop Fillier, Husker fans saw a load of him. There's weapons everywhere. How about the offensive line? That looks like an area that there might be some questions about.
6: Yeah, I think if you're Indiana, the thing you like about your offensive line is, is if they move and keep Harry Kreider at center, which it seemed like they were the, – the staff was leaning more and more toward doing – before spring camp got shut down that Kreider started all of last season at left guard. He was a center by trade out of high school. He actually played a little bit of center as a true freshman for Indiana before moving to guard. You know, we'd always kind of wondered would there be a temptation to pull him back to center? It it seemed like the, the staff resisted it for a while, but they were really toying with it and clearly thinking about it in spring before everything got closed down. If he does move to center, then your center is a senior. Your starting right tackle is a redshirt junior. Or excuse me. Your starting left tackle is a redshirt junior. Your starting right tackle is a sophomore who had an outstanding freshman season. Matthew Bedford, who took over when Coy Cronk got hurt. Um, so basically, what I would argue, probably the three most important positions in your offensive line are relatively settled. Um, and I think that's that's the thing that if you're Indiana, you. Uh, you would feel good about. The other thing you probably feel good about is, though you may not have firm answers on your interior spots, your two guard spots, you've got experience. You've got a fifth-year player in McKenzie and Wara who's been in the program for a long time. You've got a Stanford graduate transfer named Dylan Powell who's played a lot of football at those interior spots. I think both guard and center at Stanford coming off some injuries, but, you know, by all accounts healthy now. And actually Indiana gets them for two seasons. And then you've got some promising young players that you can kind of throw into that mix as well see if maybe one of them takes strides forward or at least give you some quality depth there are questions there probably more than anywhere else in the offense at least in terms of who your starters are um but i think at the same time it's not a situation where indiana should feel like it doesn't have the tools to fill those spots it's just a question of whether or not you can find the right guys for your, your number one jobs. And then, of course, as ever, if you can keep those guys healthy.
1: Again, visiting with Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star. We're talking about the Indiana Hoosiers. We have them at number 22 on our preseason top 25. I want to ask you about the tight end Peyton Hendershot. Terrific season last year, over 50 catches, but something's up with him, right? What, what's going on? What's the latest on
6: Peyton Hendershot? Yeah, so he, he was arrested um, in the offseason in a – uh, a domestic violence incident um, with, uh, I believe, an ex-girlfriend. As these things sometimes happen, it, it, the details kind of got muddied. Um, he wound up, I believe, plea, you know, sort of pleading. And while it's not clear if he will suffer any sort of suspension, um, obviously he was suspended from the team while the, the legal process played out. Um, while it's not completely clear whether, for example, he'd miss games. I wouldn't be terribly surprised if he did miss a game or two. Um, but Tom Allen has said that he is back with the team at this point. And, and in terms of his status in, you know, team activities and what he's allowed to participate in, what he is, what, you know, what the staff is allowing him to come back and be a part of, that part of it is cleared up. I think there's also been some, some internal punishment um, for him. And, again, I, I while nothing has been announced – I wouldn't be shocked if there was some sort of game suspension for him at some point in the season. Um, But as things stand right now, he will be part of the team. Gotcha.
1: Let's talk some defense. Last year, the Hoosiers, 36 nationally, defensively, a bunch of familiar names back. It looks like that could be a pretty solid unit as well. Your thoughts about that side of the ball?
6: You know, that's the side where there are, virtually no questions. And that doesn't necessarily mean Indiana's is going to be an elite defense, but it's solid everywhere. And and that's, I mean, it's it's the deepest I've ever seen Indiana's defense. It is probably as talented as I've ever seen Indiana's defense. And that goes back to the, the defense that Tom Allen got into the top 30 nationally in his first season as a head coach. Um, you know, anybody who's familiar with Indiana football's recent history knows that defense has been its Achilles heel forever. Um, And, of course, Allen has, you know, progressively changed that since coming in as defensive coordinator in 2016. But there was even still a bit of a regression kind of in his second season because Indiana's defense was really top-heavy with seniors uh, in his first couple years. This group, by and large, not completely, but by and large, is basically the young players that Indiana turned to a little bit in 2017, very much in 2018, and then continuing into last season. A lot of guys who played who, who maybe are only a, a redshirt sophomore, a redshirt junior, a true junior. But if you look at the snaps they've put up, if you look at the stats they've put up, they've played a lot of football. And so what you're seeing now is maybe the growing pains that Indiana was willing to take from some of those players in 2018 and even at times last season possibly paying off because this is genuinely a defense that can go too deep everywhere. And I don't know that, again, I'm not, I'm not suggesting it's going to be the best defense in the league. Uh, But I think it could be in that group if you, you know, if if we get to the end of the season and you look and you say, okay, you know, Michigan and Ohio State, two just elite defenses. Statistically, they shut everybody down. They smother everybody. Whatever that group behind kind of the, the top tier in the Big Ten is defensively, I think that could be where Indiana lands. There are some guys that need to take steps forward, particularly on the defensive line, but this is as much talent. This is the, the best blend of talent, depth, and experience that I can remember Indiana having in, in all my time covering this program.
1: Zach, as we, we look at the schedule, and we don't know if the Big Ten is going to tweak it, change it, but the, the league games that were on the schedule, wouldn't, wouldn't the Michigan State and Penn State home games be huge if they could get both those? They got a chance to maybe really have a, a, a breakout-type season for IU football?
6: That is, I mean, I think those are probably the big ones. You know, as we talk about the schedule as it stood before everything changed, and you're right, we're still sort of waiting to see how it it sort of settles out going forward. But when you you talk about what the schedule looks like in a sort of pre-COVID-19 world, there was a very realistic case for Indiana being five and one when it hosted Michigan state on October 24th. And given what Michigan state's kind of going through at the moment with the coaching change and everything um, potentially six and one hosting Penn state on Halloween. And, you know, it, there's no program in America that should be more uh, aware of not putting the cart before the horse than IU football, but there, there is a, a sort of reasonable there was anyway, a reasonable way to forecast that season and see that Penn State game as maybe the biggest regular season game IU football's played in a very long time. And, you know, as we kind of figure out what the Big Ten wants to do with its schedule moving forward, now that we've chopped all the non-conference games off, of course, that's probably going to create more challenges for a program like Indiana. Um, But I think there's still that opportunity, even in kind of a, a bizarre sort of season, to potentially do something, you know, to, to potentially, if nothing else, put some some really important wins on the board. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't even put it past Indiana to have a shot in that opener at Wisconsin. Um, but, of course, then you start to – that's when you really do start to kind of get into the, the hypotheticals of what the schedule is going to look like in, in ways that we just can't know yet.
1: Yeah, Zach Osterman again from the Indianapolis Star telling, talk, talking with us about Indiana. We have him at number 22 in our preseason poll. Zach, as always, we appreciate the insight. Thank you.
6: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
1: No sports on this weekend, but we've got you covered. I know everything about film. I've seen over
0: 240 of them.
2: Time now for Sports Nightly
1: Flicks Picks.
4: And action.
1: Okay. Time for us to tell you what we've been watching, and I've been anxiously waiting what Tim's going to have because he's had <laughs> a, a lot uh, you know, of time to go get into a lot of different things. So what do you got for us?
2: I've got a whole back catalog. We could be here all night of me just rattling off all the all the stuff I've watched. Um, I actually do have two recommendations. One of them is a, a curveball. I actually probably could have had a – trailer ready for it, but I didn't tell Austin about it. Um, But folks, if you haven't already seen Hamilton, steal someone's Disney Plus account, sign up for the free trial, then just cancel it already. Uh, It's a delight. I was skeptical. I was like, do I want to watch people rap about social studies for two hours? Turns out I do. Uh, It is delightful. Love it. The other thing I have, though, uh, which is what I really want to talk about, um, a foreign film, an old black and white picture from the year 1962 <laughs> it's called Sanjuro which is directed by Akira Kurosawa it literally translated to English uh, that means 30 year old it's a samurai movie um, and about and this plot's a little bit hard to explain I didn't want to get too into the weeds but um, it's Really, really interesting. It follows a, uh, a a Ronin, which is kind of like a mercenary. He's helping out these samurai who get caught up in this this corruption plot that puts their lives directly in danger. It's actually pretty funny. Uh, there's plenty of samurai action for you, and really, the Akira Kurosawa is famous um, actually because that was the insp. He was the director that basically inspired George Lucas to make Star Wars. He's got a lot of kind of Western influence in there, and so uh, it's good stuff. It's on the Criterion channel, which is basically like Netflix for pretentious people like me to watch, so uh, <laughs> definitely check that out if you have the time.
1: Very good. Austin, awesome. what have you been dealing with?
2: Well, I'm uh, more in the proletariat plebeian end of the spectrum, if Tim's our <laughs> bourgeoisie Um, I'm still going through Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I hit season seven, so I'm still enjoying that. I'm into season seven of Parks and Rec, but not even Hollywood, not even Broadway will be able to hold my attention this weekend. There are live sports on. I am eschewing Netflix, Hulu, all the above. Give me baseball. Give me basketball, please. (laughs) It's about time.
1: Yep, sports that a lot of people care about are now coming back with with the MLB and also NBA exhibition going. All right, uh, I like to go watch movies that were critically acclaimed, and I, I've been wanting to see this for a while because uh, Scarlett Johansson, who a lot of people remember from the Avengers movie, she was Black Widow. She starred in a in a movie that came out over the win over the winter called Marriage Story. And she was up for an Academy Award for Best Actress. She did not win, but she was up for it. So I had a chance to watch Marriage Story with Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver, who I believe was part of the Star Wars series. Oh, he was. Here's a little snippet.
4: What I love about Nicole,
0: she is a mother who plays, really plays.
4: So I'll tell Charlie what's happening and Cassie, you then hand him the
3: envelope. I just get nervous. Ooh, can you unserve? What do you mean, like take it back? Charlie and I are getting a divorce, Mom. You can't be friends with him anymore.
0: Dream Mom! Charlie Bird! <laughs> Mom! <laughs> Mom? <laughs> Mom!
1: What? It's it's a movie you've gotta be in a right, cause it's pretty heavy. It is one of those heavy movies because it's about divorce. Uh, this couple who were, uh, he's a director, she's an actress, uh, she was with him. They met doing a play in, in New York on Broadway. And then she decided to go do a, a, a pilot for a TV show out in Los Angeles, which is where she grew up. And, and they go through a divorce, and there are some really heavy scenes uh, of that. So it's a, it makes you uncomfortable at times. But a lot of times, and Tim, I think you would agree with this, those are the good ones, the ones movies. When they yep. kind of make you uncomfortable, you're like, ooh, they, they struck a nerve. Marriage Story is excellent, and
2: really it sounds heavy, and it definitely is. I mean, there are some intense scenes, there's lots of screaming, but uh, the way it unfolds, it's basically a a love story, but a about divorce, and, and the director Noah Baumbach is actually married to Greta Gerwig, who's also a director, and she's got a lot of great. So really, their whole filmography: Noah Baumbach, Greta Gerwig, lots of slice of lifey type stuff. That's kind of heavy, but also kind of funny as well. And so I, they're really worth digging into. Uh, it's really excellent. I definitely yeah. check it out.
1: That's a, that's a well put because there were some comedic parts to it that kept you not where you're just, you know, like so depressed when you were done with the movie. The ending was odd, but, but that's okay. I mean, they kind of just, just left and so you're like, I guess, well, that's probably how it ended up going. Really good movie. Up for some Academy Awards. Don't think it won any. I know she was up for Back to Actress but didn't win it, but A Marriage Story. Pretty good pretty good thing. It's on Netflix. You want to go check that out. Alright, coming up tomorrow night we'll continue our, our preseason Top 25. We'll also have our weekend preview is back now that we have some sports to talk about. So we'll have that tomorrow night our weekend review and all the day's headlines coming your way tomorrow night here on sports nightly uh, again good hour thanks to teddy greenside he always stops by with us on thursday nights and zach osterman our good friend from the indianapolis star previewing our top 25 team that'll do it for this hour another hour to go come on back